All right. Well, good morning, everybody. I know there are some of you who have been married a long, long time in here. And then there are some of you, uh, like Karen and I, are, who are still newlyweds on our honeymoon, right? And uh, just getting started on the journey. Some of you came and thought, this is going to be great that today is Valentine's Day and we get to be challenged. And some of you are like, oh, somebody just knocked me out instead. But you're here, right? Uh, because there's just so many different thoughts and emotions that come with this deepest, um, most intimate relationship in our life of marriage. But um, for all of the um, people who are struggling with just Valentine's Day in general and some of the things that brings, goodness, there's so many um, who are walking this journey in life, marriage, with, um, with a partner that gives them um, the ability to more completely in their life uh, honor God, right, and leverage relationships. And for some, that's just not where you're at right now. Uh, some of you have lost um, a spouse, and we know today's a struggle. Some of you long for a spouse, and we know today's a struggle. Some of you are sitting next to your spouse, and we know today's a struggle. Um, <laughs> But we can't miss the opportunities when God just kind of lays them on our lap to speak truth into this vital relationship. So I invited my friend Tim. I still can't remember whose lips God used um, 10 years ago when um, my life was falling apart and said, hey, you need to go see this guy. But God used their lips and introduced me to Tim and Linda and True Relationships and their counseling ministry uh, Tim and Linda have been pastoring for years, 36 years or so, I think, ago. God laid on the heart to begin this ministry. Um, so, like, if you, if you came today and you've got warm fuzzies on Valentine, you think that you might get coddled, you probably are in the wrong spot. At least he never coddled me. <laughs> um, more challenging, but just from Scripture and a godly man uh, with God's heart for this most vital of relationships and uh, Tim and Linda have really dedicated last, you know, almost four decades of their life to coming into the lives of people like you and me when, uh, when things are falling apart and giving hope and speaking God's truth and saying, you know, God is the great redeemer. And if we let him, he can do incredible work. And so um, I've been the benefit of that. And so I wanted to ask Tim to come to speak. So I'm going to pray and I'm just going to ask you that you might uh, put on your ears to hear today what God has to say to you, all right? Father, you are so good to us. Um, even in our deepest and darkest struggles, now we are loved. Even at our ugliest points in life, um, you are there. Covering us, not just with the cross for forgiveness, but with your heart for love. To give us hope to give us a future, to give us the gift of your son. Not just a hope for eternity, but a hope even during these dark days, even if the days are light, our, our life is filled with the hope of you. And we thank you for that, Lord. We have ears to hear this morning what you have to say to us through our brother Tim. And we thank you for him in Jesus' name. Good morning. Well, 
there are a lot of times I, I know as a pastor, and, and uh, Pastor Chris had the, the numbers right, but for the first 20 years of our marriage and ministry, we were pastors. We planted a church in Southern California and watched that grow, but then our lives hit the wall and our marriage experienced the most difficult time that we've ever had. But thanks be to God, we both were willing to fight for the vows that we had made and for each other, and God beautifully and wonderfully restored our marriage. A lot of other things fell apart at that time, like being a pastor, and um, so we had to start over. But God used our mess to give us a message, and as a result, about 20 years ago, well, yeah, 20 years ago, we started what was then called Restoration Resources Ministry. <laughs> now it's just simply and beautifully true relationships. And um, we're grateful that God has used what we went through to help so many others. And we want to do our part to come alongside of you, whatever that might look like. Uh, we're going to be here in April. And I hope that you'll all sign up for our weekend event that we're going to be doing here. Lynn and I will be doing our marriage seminar called True Intimacy. So the point of that is that there is such a thing as false intimacy. And we don't want you to have that. And some of you, unfortunately, are accepting that, whether that be uh, a really serious false intimacy like sexual sin or living in a marriage that is dead or lacking any vitality. We want you to have the real thing. And God wants you to have that. And you can have that. And honestly, it's not as difficult as you might think. I often say, uh, I've said it hundreds of times. I've said to a couple or a guy in particular, this ain't rocket science. You can do this. And I believe that for you as well. So I hope you'll come in April. We're going to have fun. But like Pastor Chris said, I, we don't pull any punches. We want you to get what you can get. And sometimes that can take us off our feet a little bit. But that's okay because God is faithful and he will help you. So a lot of times a guest speaker, and I'm sure you've heard it before, they'll come and they say these platitudes about their past, about your pastor and say all these wonderful things and they've only seen each other once maybe in two years. But I can come here today and tell you that I love Pastor Chris because I was privileged to see his true heart. And you have a real man, a real father, a real pastor, who loves you and loves everyone that is in his world, including me. And I love him. And I don't say that lightly. Uh, we've been through the stuff together. And I've heard all of it. And I've shared with him all, a lot of my struggles as well. And I think that's what it's all about. That's, that's what friendship's about. And um, so I just want you to know that I don't say nice things um, because they sound good, but because they're real. Let me get... Yeah. Um, 
So let me, let me just quickly introduce my wife, Linda, down here in the beautiful Valentine Red, here and here. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm uh, partial to, I was going to say I'm partial to redheads, but I'm actually partial to a redhead. Uh, <laughs> I, just, I just heard that before I said it. It's like, yeah, you don't want to say it that way. Yeah, um, so I didn't, thankfully. Um, but we have been married, we'll be married 41 years this summer. Yeah! I can't believe it, actually. Uh, we've known each other 48 years. And so now we're coming up to that 50 year. I can remember hearing when I was younger people that were married 50 years, and I'm thinking, that is never going to happen for me. I mean, not because I wouldn't love someone that long, but because I thought I'd die before then. <laughs> but uh, look, looks like at this point, we, we, we actually might make it to that. So I do plan on being here in April, though, so that's all we got to worry about, right? <laughs> so this morning, you know, I'm kind of nervous because I'm supposed to be here this morning to lure you and convince you that coming to the marriage seminar in April is the thing to do. That scares me because I know that there's some things I might say today that will step on your proverbial toes. And that might make you not want to come in April, but I'm willing to take that risk because we need the truth and the truth sets us free. Now, I, I'm not the purveyor of truth, but I do know that God has shown me some things that are true, especially about relationship. Marriage, yes, absolutely, but broader than that, relationships. I found that if we're not doing well in marriage, for those of us that are married, we're probably having struggles in other relationships, like with our children, or more importantly, with God. When Linda and I went through what we went through, our relationship was in much more trouble than I ever imagined. But what it helped me realize was that not only was my relationship lacking with her, but where it was lacking with her, I also was having it lack with God. The things about honesty and safety and truth and vulnerability not only was I missing with her, but I didn't really know how to do that with God either. So there's this residual effect from getting relationships right, and that is it'll help you see what's not right with you and God too. So that's, that's what I call a win-win. So this morning, I, I want to just simply bring a message to you that I've entitled God's Perfect Plan for Marriage. Now, I know that not everyone is married in this room. But here's what I found, that married or not, we, we understand a relational intimacy, whether that be as a friend or with God or with family. So whatever you hear, I, I, I hope that it's translatable beyond marriage, obviously including marriage. But I want to tell you that God does have a plan for marriage and relationships to work. So let me start with some, some humor. 
um, a consortium of marriage and family counselors posed this question to a, a little group of four to eight-year-olds. They asked them the question, what does love mean? The answers they, they gave were, were broader and more uh, amazing than any of them had previously imagined in asking that question. I think, I think they thought that they were going to be really trite, you know, really kind of simple. But as you'll hear, they were wrong. Here's what the kids said. Rebecca, age eight, said, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore, so my grandfather does it for her, for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. Billy, age four, said, when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You know your name is safe in their mouth. <laughs> I, I genuinely love that one. Uh, that, that's classic and beautiful. Carl, age five, said, Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. <laughs> I wish there were some kids in here right now, but uh, they'll, don't, they have to miss that one. Um, Bobby, age five, said, Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. <laughs> That's, how do they come up with that stuff, those kids? Noel, age seven, said, love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt and he wears it every day. <laughs> Tommy, age six, said, love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they know each other so well. And Jessica, age eight, said, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. You know, I've, I'm glad that I've never been one of those guys that gave cards on valentines or birthdays or whatever that said I, I know I don't say this often enough but I love you uh, I despise those cards I've never bought one and I never will if you got one for valentine's day I'm sorry I told you I was going to step on toes <laughs> but seriously no if you love somebody say it a lot in America today, according to a secular poll that was taken, 93% of all people interviewed said that a stable marriage for a lifetime was very important to them. So as you look across America and see people losing hope in marriage, understand this, people haven't lost the dream of marriage. That's why people come to counseling all the time. I've had people that are literally hopeless. I, 90% of the time, have to be hope for them. I have to tell them, I've watched it happen. It can happen for you, but they are hopeless. But 
They've come to counseling. They've stayed together because they haven't lost the dream. Interestingly enough, of those 93% of people who said marriage was very important to them, when they were asked, do you believe you can really have a stable marriage for a lifetime? Less than 50% of those same people believe it is still possible. And it kind of correlates with what we've heard, I, we don't know, you know, accurately what the divorce rate is. So many people live together now, break up without ever getting married, et cetera, et cetera. But um, that, that statistic is interesting to me, that maybe the reason marriages don't last is because they don't believe they're supposed to last, or that they can last, or the one they're in will last. What I want you to hear today is simple. True intimacy, a marriage that is satisfying, is possible. And there, there really is a perfect plan for marriage that God instituted and ordained. So, the, the passage of Scripture that I want us to look at is certainly not the only one that deals with marriage, and it may not even be the one that talks perfectly or beautifully about this perfection, but it does tell us some very important principles that will allow marriage to be successful, that will allow marriage to be as close to perfect as you can get on this earth. So just keep that in mind. Perfection is never going to be possible. God has a perfect plan. We're not going to be able to implement it here on this planet because we're fallen. And I'll talk about that this morning. So if we can get that fallenness figured out and under control, well, we'll be on the right track. So turn with me to Ephesians 5. And I'm just going to read all of the verses, 21 through 33. Rather long passage, uh, usually, you know, we read just a couple verses. But I want to read this entire section so that you hear it and we can respond to it. So, let me begin. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, 
No one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect the husband. It's interesting how much time the Holy Spirit, through Paul, spends on men loving their wives. One Sharp statement. Women, submit to your husbands. Okay, done with you. Men, love, love, love. Be like Jesus. Take care of her. Feed her, bless her, blah, blah, blah. So, guys, please hear me this morning. I don't know why, but I found that it's harder for us. Maybe I do know why. I mean, I think there's something to do with the garden. I mean, God looked at Adam, and the only thing he ever said wasn't good was Adam being alone. So something was missing. And what was missing was Eve. Help her. Yeah, I think you get the point. We need help, not because we're helpless, not because we're inadequate or incapable, but because it wasn't part of our, if you will, DNA. But I believe that it is part of a woman's DNA to help us do relationship well. So, I know two things about this passage. The first one is that everyone... Everyone loves what it says about their spouse, (laughs) and they reject what it says about them. The second thing is that we're all afraid. We're all afraid to be the first one to act on it. Well, I will if he does. Well, why should I if she doesn't? All of us are deflecting. We're all making excuses. We're all taking the easy way out. And this morning I'm challenging you. This is doable. Let it happen. Believe it can happen. And if you will, make it happen. So, what's this all look like? All right, um, we're struggling with this. We don't want to be the first one to do it. We're um, rejecting the idea that I'm doing something I shouldn't do or not doing it as well as I should be doing it. Well, I think to make an example of that, let's, let's look at what women might hear. So a woman hears this statement. Guys, I want you to empathize now, okay? You, that, that's a skill. Empathize. Feel what they feel, all right? A woman hears, submit as you would to the Lord. 
And the natural reasoning of a woman is, I would submit if he acted like the Lord, but I'm pretty sure that my husband is demon-possessed. I think his number is 666. In fact, he could just be the Antichrist. So if he acted like the Lord, I'd treat him like the Lord. Husbands, you hear that and you think, well, my situation isn't any different than yours, and you're right. So women empathize with the guys. The man, he's reading about sacrificing, laying down his life for you and serving you. And he's thinking, well, you know, with her attitude, it is never going to be over. I might as well give up right now. I mean, this woman is just going to run right smack dab over me. I'm done. It's kind of sad that we can have those kind of thoughts that we respect and submit only when I feel like it or when they deserve it or that men only love when they feel loved. So here's what I want to tell you about America, uh, marriage in America today. That marriage still works. Okay, now, secular world is not telling you that. I'm telling you that. And if I'm just a voice in the wilderness shouting out to you that it is possible, don't give up, don't stop, don't try to figure it out on your own, get help. It's possible. And there are ministries and people like True Relationships that know what to do to make it work. So don't feel bad that you don't know. Many of us have grown up in homes that were very dysfunctional. How could we have possibly learned what to do to make it work? So you need help. It's all right. No big deal. Nobody's going to put you down. Nobody's going to judge you. And if they do, just don't pay any attention to them. You don't need them. What you need is somebody that'll help you. So, I think that we just have to go back to God's way, all right? If we do it God's way, it still works. So, I mean, there's a ton of stuff that I could tell you and that I'd like to be able to share with you out of Ephesians 5. I mean, 12 verses here that are chocked full of all kinds of stuff. But I, I, really, I want to just kind of just boil it down. I want to give you one big idea, one thing that you could take away. You've got some note page in front of you. This isn't going to be hard to follow along, but I, I hope you'll hear the little words that go in the blanks, and I, I'm sure that you will. So the first or the one single truth that I want you to know about Ephesians 5 is that it gives us the formula it gives us the antidote. It disables, 
Ephesians 5 disables our sin nature. It is the antidote, the prescription, if you will, to take away the disease of self-centeredness, to take away the virus in COVID-19 terminology, to take away the virus that infects all of us that makes marriage not good. So Ephesians 5 disables our sin nature and literally keeps it from destroying our marriage. As, as you know from God's Word, we are born with a sin nature. How many of you, you knew that? We are born with a sin nature, okay? Yeah. Boy, you've got a righteous group here. <laughs> Let me try that again. How many of you know we are all born with a sin nature? That means you do some pretty punky stuff. All of us. So what does that look like? We are fallen creatures. And your sin nature, Kayla, your sin nature cannot be married to anyone. Not just the one you're with. No one. Your sin nature cannot be married to anyone successfully. Your sin nature is selfish. I, I really often actually refer to it more as self-centered. I, I don't I don't really care for the word selfish because it feels so childish. And I don't think we always are that. We aren't always acting, you know, I, you know, no, we just, we just think we should have it a certain way. We're self-centered. And God wants to change that. So our sin nature is going to automatically be selfish or self-centered. It's short-tempered, moody, dominant. Yeah, even manipulative. Okay, I mean, there are more words. You're good with just those, right? That's enough to tell you what your sin nature is about? No one can have their sin nature married to someone else and it not destroy the relationship. So what do we have to do? We have to disarm the sin nature. Ephesians 5 disarms the sin nature in both of us that destroys our relationship, relationships, plural. The reason that the roles in Ephesians 5 are different for men and women is because our sin natures as men and women are different. When I talk about submission, ladies, here's what I want you to understand. Women do have a different sin nature. Their sin nature, and this is a blank for you to fill in, a woman's sin nature is what Lynn and I have come to call and identify as a prideful independence. <laughs> hear how quiet it is? If we had hard floors, you could hear a pin drop. We don't. I'm pretty sure one dropped, though. Eve ate the fruit. Think about that. She ate the fruit without ever consulting God or her husband. I mean, I, I, I kind of 
could have reasoned it out in my brain if she didn't go to Adam but went to God. Okay, well, that, that, he is the ultimate authority, so yeah, you're good. But neither, neither one. She sat there and consulted with the devil. And so God comes to women and says, that's your sin nature. And God says, I have a way to disable that. I'm going to put on you an extra layer of authority. And that layer will disable your sin nature. Now, this extra layer of authority is not because you are not as intelligent or as respected or as loved. It's because you have the tendency to be independent, to make decisions without consulting your husband because you think that he has nothing at all to tell you. I know that that's one of the ways that women think because I've witnessed it hundreds of times in counseling. But that is not God's plan for you to think of your husband in such a way. But then God comes to men. Again, a man's sin nature is different than a woman. His sin nature is what we have come to identify as a passive insensitivity. There's always a little more chatter during that one. Oh yeah, boy, he hit that one on the head. So, God says, guys, I have an answer for that laziness in you. I'm going to put on you an extra layer of responsibility he comes to women, says, I'm going to put an extra layer of authority on you. To men, I'm going to put an extra layer of responsibility on you. Understand this. If we accept the roles that we have in Ephesians 5, it disables the sin nature. If I will sacrificially love Linda the way God has told me to nourish to cherish, to love, I will never be passively insensitive again. It's amazing. If I'll do what I was called to do, and that is to love and cherish, which, by the way, I vowed before God and man to do, but I discovered very quickly that was not easy, or in my nature to do. I just had a flashback, one of mine and Linda's early situations, conflicts. We had gone to church that morning. We were new to Minneapolis, Minnesota, going to Bible college. I, we, we decided on a church to go to, and we went there, but the previous Sundays that we had been to church, I, I noticed that Linda didn't touch me. I touched her. I put my hand around her or put my hand on her leg or whatever, but she, she didn't reciprocate. 
And it bugged me. Yeah, can anybody relate to something along those lines? You get something down in here and it starts gnawing away at you. Yeah, that's what I did. Selfish, immature, sin nature coming strong as all get out. So I decided on this particular Sunday that I was going to test my wife. Oh, man, is that a mistake. <laughs> I was going to find out if she really loved me. So I decided I wasn't going to touch her. I wasn't going to put my arm around her. I wasn't even going to get close enough to where our hips could touch. And I was going to see if she noticed. Or if she thought about touching me or putting her hand on my leg or putting her up. Nope, guess what? An hour and a half, I was dying inside. Because that did not happen. And I was beside myself. I had convinced myself that she could not possibly love me the way I loved her. Or she would have known that. Oh, how wrong I was. How foolish and immature I was. But I believed it. And in no uncertain terms, following that church service, I let Linda know how much it affected me, how upset, how angry I was. And it did not go well. And she did not back down, not that she was rude or inappropriate, but she didn't get it. What did she do wrong? But I was so upset, I remember leaving our little apartment, getting on my bicycle, and I rode all over Minneapolis for hours. Yeah, that's how upset I was. And guess what I did? <laughs> oh, man. When I got home, I walked in the house, in the apartment, and I didn't say a word. It was over. What a mistake that was. I let that thing ferment inside of my heart, and I'm sure that it became uglier than I was even aware. And I'm sure that she paid a price for that that we never talked about. It's kind of sad, isn't it? Well, I couldn't agree more. And I unfortunately learned the hard way, which I try to help people avoid by telling you my stories and help you realize that you don't have to make the same mistakes or any mistakes like I made if you will be willing to submit to the Lord and to each other. Because remember, Ephesians 5 begins there. Submit one to the other. So, your sin nature can't successfully be married to anyone. It has to be crucified. And the roles in Ephesians 5 do just that. Listen to these two things as I get close to closing. There's two things that are pretty simple in this passage. Two things that you can take away, so to speak. The best way to change your spouse, yeah, you know the rest of the statement, don't you? Is to change yourself. Stop waiting. Start acting. 
And the second thing is, and, and, and I hope you hear my heart on this, because it could be taken incorrectly, I suppose, but let me just say it this way, the hero. Not, not that you're better or you're the best, but the hero of your relationship does the right thing first. Stop waiting for them to do what they're supposed to do before you do what you're supposed to do. And I think you know what I'm pointing at there. You take responsibility for your own behavior and you do the right thing. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what changes marriages. It's time for us to stop struggling with Ephesians 5. It's time for us to embrace it. It's time for us to come to God and say, okay, God, you're right, I do have a sin nature and I'm asking you to disable it. It's time for men to come to God and say, I admit that I have a passive insensitivity. I just want to detach and do my own thing and find the easy way out. You're right, God, to put an extra layer of responsibility on me and I embrace it. I crucify that lazy part of my heart. It's time for women to just come and say, okay, I admit that you have, I admit that I have that rebellious side, that part of me that just wants to do it my way. Lord, you're right to put an extra layer of authority on me to crucify that. And I accept that. I'm going to invite the band to come up at this point. And I just want to make one brief statement from Scripture. And we're going to just sing a closing song together, and I'm just going to come back up at the close of that song and pray for us. Okay, so I, I, I'd like for you to right now just, just let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. Okay, what, what is it that he wants you to pick up from this talk today? What are the things that might be resonating in you? What's the thing that might be gnawing at you the most or even bothering you, maybe making you upset? I don't know. But I hope that you'll be willing to listen and be responsive. So here's a passage that kind of brings it all together. Romans 8, 9. You, however, you, okay, all of, all of you, all of us, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature. Okay, we talked about the fact we all have it, but God says, no, no, you're not controlled by that anymore. Come on. So what are you controlled by? By the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you. And I know that's the think about it. Can I just invite you to stand there and close your eyes? I really want you to just be in God's presence right now. I know that many of you are standing next to your spouse or a family member or something, but this, this is a moment that I just want you to be able to speak with your heart to God and listen with your heart from God. 
think it's just time. This message has been preached and many times it's been stated in such a way that that made women think that they had to just do whatever their husbands said and that husbands thought that they ruled and had authority over their their wives. And that is so not the heart of God. It's so much a, a misuse of what God is, I believe, trying to tell us in this passage. So I'm just asking you to consider how you may have misused this passage. I want you to submit to God and say, God, help me to understand what it is that you're really trying to tell me about where I'm at, where we are at in our home, in our marriage. I want you to just be able to say something like this to God. Lord, I want to be attractive to my spouse. I want to meet their needs and have true intimacy with them. So I commit to this. And as I commit to it, I also want to be the person that you can use in my spouse's life to build them up, not tear them down, to build them up and take them to their highest potential. I want to be the vessel you use to bring them to that place that you created them to be in their mother's womb. Lord, I just ask that as we contemplate these truths, as we do some self-evaluation, some introspection about how we may have misinterpreted Ephesians 5, how we may have misapplied what we understood, may we use this passage to love each other well, to be each other's greatest cheerleaders, to be best friends, to want the best, not to use it against them, but to cause us to be broken and realize that if my spouse is unhappy or dissatisfied at some level, may we not blame them, but take responsibility ourselves to find out ask questions instead of making statements. Submit instead of demand. Acknowledge my own sin instead of pointing out theirs. The Lord help us today. Help us to begin attempting to live out these truths. Prepare our hearts to go even deeper, perhaps in April, where we can take it to the next level. I pray that you'd help us. We pray all this in the matchless, wonderful name of Jesus Christ, the best friend, the one who taught us how to do all of this. I pray it in your name. Amen.